totally football show. Title race cancelled by company's strike action and suddenly it's all over. City set for the title, Cardiff down and the top four dithering all but done with draws at the Emirates and most disappointingly between Huddersfield and Man U. No wonder they're going down. Still, at least we've got two wide open completely in the balanced Champions League second legs to look forward to. It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, it's late on a Monday and your Totally Football Show joins you straight after the final whistle of an extraordinary match at the Etihad where Man City have just beaten Leicester 1-0. Witnesses to this, between fingers, Sasha Gurionov. Good evening, James. Hi to you, Sasha. James Horncastle also here. Hi, James. And Michael Cox. Hi, James. Man City won Leicester 0 Vincent Company because they tried everything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't looking likely for City at that point. Leicester were, I think, looking more likely to score on the counter-attack. They had a couple of very good chances. And we didn't expect that from Company at all. I mean, I can't remember seeing him ever score from long range. I think you've got the stats on it. Well, Duncan Alexander pointing out he's had 37 shots from outside the box in his Premier League career. That was his first goal. And Jan Agafurtov, who was watching this on Norwegian TV2, they said the last time that company scored outside the box was against Bran in 2007 for Hamburg, not the three-eyed Raven <laughs> Bran from Norway. Nice. <laughs> Sasha, good to hear you laughing. Yeah, um, trying to pick up my jaw and my heart off the floor. Uh, but I think Leicester lived up to Liverpool fans' expectations there. I think they made it a very difficult game for Manchester City. What in Brendan Rodgers kind of throwing away a Liverpool title again? <laughs> In that sense. <laughs> I think he did his best there to to get himself a statue in Liverpool. He's not going to be getting one now. Uh, but I thought Leicester played it quite smart. And interestingly, how they soaked up the pressure in the second half of the first 15 minutes, didn't leave their half. And then that break with Harry Maguire, I must, I must say, quite unlikely potential hero. But unfortunately, Madison's decision-making let him down. But, you know, if, if any goal is going to win the title, I don't think you can really script a better one, to be honest. Yeah, it, it was extraordinary. And no disrespect to Brighton, but City have now already done their lap of honour. To be honest, I've seen Brighton this season. Um, <laughs> I've been decidedly underwhelmed by Brighton. I must say, once the pressure was off, once they stayed up, uh, they played a bit better against Arsenal, a bit uh-huh. more positive. And I think last few games as well, once they got spanked 5-0 by Bournemouth, they kind of went back to basics and started defending better. But I really can't see them show any threat against Manchester City next weekend. You were at the game uh, at St James's on Saturday, Sasha, which must have been... Uh, that must have shredded your nerves. And then to follow that up with that 70 minutes of goalless football tonight... To, to be honest, the uh, nerves have been shredded on a regular basis uh, in Liverpool games for the last couple of months. Uh, all those late winners, um, almost accidental goals, like the winner against the Spurs... Um, the brilliant strikes by Salah. But what we saw um, at, at Newcastle uh, was a very typical, I think, Rafa Benitez performance, very organised. You could, like, we, we were in the upper tier. That's where the way end is. And you can see the tactics in front of you. And it was a very organised 5 for one in defence. And Atsu went forward very well. I thought they opened up the flank for Richie extremely well as well. And they were also very, very hard, um, uh, this, that Newcastle team. Uh, they were certainly um, not shy of any physical challenges. And, you know... When Salah was getting carried off towards the end of that match, I thought that was it. Liverpool couldn't really play football after that. And the only way you could see a goal coming was a set piece, which was somewhat fortunate for Liverpool. The celebrations were certainly wild. The next 12 minutes were certainly very long. But I think a lot of Liverpool fans are recognising there's nothing much more Liverpool can do here. No. 
Saturday it was Origi, who's almost yeah. as unlikely a goal scorer. Well, it's, that's yeah, tell it to Everton fans as well. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, it was it, I think the way that free kick was constructed was pretty epic as well. When Van Dijk was eventually told Shakiri to to take it, um, and that game was the only way that Liverpool score, were going to score was from a free kick. I thought it was quite interesting. Match of the day, they kind of went from the Origi goal straight to the final whistle. I tell you what, those twelve minutes were very, very, very long. Right. Um, I think what's astonishing about this is that usually title races come down to bottle. And yet you can say that neither of these teams have, have bottled this in any way because Liverpool to come back in the way that they did, well, to just keep going against Newcastle. And you look at City tonight, City have had a long time to kind of think about that um, over the weekend and sort of get jitters. And we did see that it got to a certain stage in the game where in all their other games at the Etihad they'd scored and tonight they hadn't. Um, and again, just to find a way somehow, improbably, it's kind of from a mental perspective, both teams, you, you really do have to take your hat off to them. There's a lot that is inevitable almost about Man City winning the title, but to do it in that fashion is the twist perhaps that people had been waiting for. There's that great replay of of Company Strike which shows a bunch of fans actually ex walking up towards, I don't know, to go to the bathroom or whatever, because there's no way anyone anticipates company doing anything. What we'd expected him to do was go out and get booked, bring down Vardy, that kind of thing. Yeah, he did it on uh, Madison, which was an interesting uh, twist in the first half. And he did worry for him, um, especially because Vardy loves sprinting to that inside left channel. But it's interesting, uh, James talks about the bottle there. And it's a word used a lot at this stage in the season, but maybe we judge bottle too much based upon the results. I mean, I think City have looked incredibly nervous against Burnley, got one goal that just about uh, went over the line. I think they looked a little bit running out of ideas tonight and company blasts it in from 40 yards. So I've actually been more impressed with Liverpool's mental resilience than than City's. I think tonight could have gone a very different way had had Madison not shot when... Kelechi as well at the end where he had a a more presentable shooting opportunity because the ball... That extraordinary Harry Maguire run. Exactly, and didn't even hit the target. And I think, again, in the second half, Leicester did have two very good counter-attacking opportunities, which luckily for City, they just didn't take. Well, They never got the ball to to Vardy, which I think would have been interesting had he had his chance as one of the, the deadliest exponents of that particular footballing art. But what goes through company's mind then when he, a, a man who almost never takes a shot or certainly never succeeds with a shot from there with 70 minutes already played of a game that is absolutely crucial, the title perhaps slipping through their fingers decides, no, I will now absolutely leather this in well it's difficult to know but you sense there's a little bit because he probably felt City were running out of ideas and they weren't creating much so you know David Silva I don't think had a particularly instrumental game on the ball Foden was okay Aguero was quiet Sterling we didn't see much from him so it was almost like this is this is the only option and to be fair to company and, and I've been repeatedly critical of him over recent years but he has got this kind of Ability maybe a little bit like Didier Drogba to kind of bounce back from iffy seasons to provide massive contributions because it was his header against Manchester United in I'm pretty sure the same day in 2011 uh, 12 in the sense it was the last Monday before the final weekend he scored the winner 1 0 win there which kind of got overshadowed by the Aguero moment but he does score some big goals. Come with the hour, come with the company. Uh, yeah, I, I like to say. Was it almost a relief when it went in, Sasha? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, um. The only sentiment, I think, for me was um, 
A, wow, and B, wow, this is disappointing, isn't it? Um, but I think another indication that uh, City were running out of it and getting a bit nervous, there were two or three really sloppy passes in the few minutes before that uh, company shot. And I think if you look at the context of the game, it was almost that had to go in because, you know, when company starts shooting, you know you've run out of everything else, I think. Um, and, um, yeah, and fair, fair play to him. I think he was in tears there on the pitch towards the end. And the emotions coming through his, through his mind at the final whistle, I think it must be absolutely extraordinary. Um, and, um, yeah, fair play. This is a player whose City career, I think, has been judged over on more than one occasion in the past. Yeah, I mean, they've continually brought in younger centre-backs. They haven't always worked out. John Stones hasn't had a great season. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if if that was his last home game for City, to be honest, company. You know, a guy who's really badly struggled with injuries. Also, clearly, a guy who's got, you know, a very intelligent guy who's got a lot going on in the rest of his life that, you know, he might have other ambitions. I mean, you're not going to go out in a better way than that. Well, Brighton at the weekend for City, that's down near the coast is that right Sasha quite on the coast while Liverpool will be hosting Wolves and after that Leicester defeat actually the Wolves have now guaranteed themselves seventh place okay. uh, so they have nothing to play for officially uh, I still expect it uh, to be a, another tough game for Liverpool uh, because as we've seen uh, Wolves really motivate themselves for the bigger clubs um, they um, actually I was almost surprised by the result of the weekend when they actually managed to beat Fulham 1-0 because that's the sort of game they don't seem to care about that much. Uh, but again, I think against Liverpool, one thing I shouldn't be underestimated as well, you know, you, I think football clubs do love to spoil a party or a potential party. So I think uh, Wolves would give it all to actually uh, prevent Liverpool from winning. Which, of course, Newcastle did at the weekend. And we, we should just salute their level of industry as well. Klopp. Anyone stand out for you in particular from the Magpies? Rondon was absolutely astonishing. Like, really incredible uh, the way he absolutely terrorised. Mostly Lovren, but Van Dijk as well. Um, any ball going up to him, uh, he was just comfortably holding it up. He was barging opposition players out of the way. His finish was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely leathered that ball in. Uh, there's no chance. I think there was some sort of complaint potential offside. That, that, no. There's no way Alisson is saving that, even if he's anywhere near that. And I just thought his application was uh, was extraordinary. I, Klopp, after the game, said as well, um, is there a, some sort of history between Newcastle and Liverpool? Because he commented on the fact that the whole place was so up for it. Right. Maybe it's the fact that it was Saturday night kickoff. People had the time to prepare. <laughs> but... Um, at 2-0, St. James's Park was going absolutely nuts. It was just, you know, you're, you're almost going deaf. Um, so, uh, you know, all this talk of maybe Rafael Benitez potentially letting Liverpool do it, nah, it's none of that at all. And I think for Liverpool to come through that test again is another test like, to their, well, character. And this is what Kopner keeps commenting on, uh, on almost after every game because these this genuinely a team that doesn't give up at all. Um, and, you know, that moment when Salah is there on the pitch... Yet another moment, I think, this season when the players on the pitch had much more belief than the fans in the stands. All right. Well, Wolves coming up at the weekend then. Before that, Barcelona. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Thomas McCarthy asks, what are the chances of a red montada for <laughs> Liverpool? They did have that epic second leg comeback, says Thomas, at Anfield against Dortmund in the Europa League a couple of years ago. Lovren scored the winner, if I recall correctly. Maybe he is the talisman. Thomas then later writing in to say, I just wanted to say Red Montada. Uh, <laughs> Fair. Well, uh, Barcelona will be coming to Anfield, Sasha. Uh, as will you. You're heading up there for the game. Heading up there tomorrow. Uh, uh, Liverpool 3-0 down from the first leg without Salah, without Firmino, no Naby Keita. Barcelona rested all their players at the weekend, having already 
wrapped up the title. One Barcelona goal will mean that Liverpool will need five and Barcelona have only conceded one goal in eight fixtures before the weekend when they rested all their players. So visits to uh, England this season have been pretty memorable, at least particularly when they played Spurs at Wembley, but they obviously won at Old Trafford against United as well. I think if you, again, seeing the team that was finishing for Liverpool at Newcastle, um, I think one thing that was noticeable was they were beginning to tire. That was just three days after Barcelona. Again, this was a massively draining game. Three days later, you face Barcelona again. And unfortunately, without Firmino and Salah, there there just isn't the attacking structure there to score all those goals. I mean, for example, okay, we saw last season that Barcelona blew a 4-1 lead against Roma and then Roma came to Anfield and conceded five. But... That well, was that means that if Barcelona can lose to Roma like that, and then you guys do Roma, then that, that guy Salah was playing, and that was that was the optimal Liverpool team. Uh, interestingly enough, Liverpool's goal started raining in after Oxley Chamberlain did his ACL. Um, that maybe changed the structure a little bit, and Liverpool absolutely steamrolled Roma. But I just I get the feeling now that physically, um, probably more than mentally, I'm not sure Liverpool will be able to maintain the pace. You saw the pace in the first game at the Camp Nou. It was absolutely extraordinary how football can be played so quickly. And the first 15 minutes of the second half at the, at the Camp Nou, I thought uh, the pace again of Liverpool play was absolutely out of this world. And I just cannot see them keeping this up uh, at Anfield, which is something that would be required if, they have, if they're going to stand any chance. Absolutely no chance, Michael? I think if the front three were fit, you can see that happening. But with the injuries, I can't. I can't imagine. How, how will they line up? Do you think uh, what Origi with Sturridge and, and and Mane, or will Shakiri be in the starting lineup? I'd guess Origi uh, and Sturridge. Right. And the thing is, with Sturridge as well, to keep up that pace for the whole game, you see, you could see Sturridge um, early on at Newcastle. Like he played the magnificent ball to Mane. He obviously played a key part in the second goal. But the loose ball, he tried to chase. I think maybe five, ten minutes before half time, he couldn't move. And I was surprised that he stayed on the pitch because uh, second half, he, you could see he, he's still intelligent. He's still a very good player, even though he did miss the chance to make it 3-1. But he, he, he just can't run. <laughs> Actually, having, having said that, Firmino was out first leg and he played one out in the front three. So maybe he... I mean, I, get, I think that was probably a kind of pressing-based decision, wasn't it? He wanted someone who could work. So maybe Sturridge will be on the bench, actually. I take that back. Klopp's comment after the first leg, I don't know if we can play much better than this, and they still lost 3-0. Have you got any rays of... Well, he was speaking whilst we were watching the, the City game, and I think his, his sentiment is spot on, which is um, there's hope and it is football. Uh, two of the world's best strikers are not available tomorrow, and we have to score four goals to go through in 90 minutes. That is the plan. Just try, and if we can do it, wonderful. And if not, fail in the most beautiful way. Well, what a manager we've got. <laughs> uh, when people talk about um, inverted commas cultural fit, they couldn't be a more perfect man um, for the job. I think it will be interesting to feel what the crowd is like tomorrow. Are they just defiant in the face of you know inevitability, or are they down after today's result, after the first leg? I think the crowd could make a huge difference, and I think sometimes maybe it's just worth going crazy and just uh, not believing any in, in any in anything logical. And I think if anything. Before the City games in the Champions League last season, I think um, some people on the City side kind of laughed at this whole idea of Anfield atmosphere. And Liverpool fans and players turned it on. But I just think this is a bit too much. I mean, you'll enjoy your trip there anyway. I completely enjoy my trip. You'll be seeing one of the best teams in the world. Well, two of the best best teams in the world. But one that you don't often see. And of course, Leo Messi is a quick question from Johnny, who says, what is the worst team that could win their domestic title with the sole addition of Messi? Like, how far down the table could you go 
before just adding Messi wouldn't win you the title. For example, in the Premier League, if you add Messi to Wolves, are they going to win the title? Probably not because the, the level of competition is so high. But maybe maybe the equivalent Arsenal? in Arsenal well, with well, Messi could they win the well, title? Well, maybe the equivalent in Germany where there's not a genuinely great team at the moment. Okay. Well, I mean, if you think about adding Messi to a team, where would you put Argentina? Because <laughs> they keep on asking, adding Messi <laughs> to that team, yeah, <laughs> and it keeps point. on not succeeding. Fair point. There you go. Liverpool's clash with Barcelona. One half of the Champions League semi-final second leg picture. The other one involves Spurs. We'll talk about them after this. Here at Paddy Power, our trendy new advertising team told us we could record the advert for Liverpool's second leg versus Barcelona, even though we're recording the ad before the first leg's been played. So, Liverpool had a big loss with a huge contribution from Messi. Hmm, yeah, they were right. Seamless. Anyway, get money back as a free bet if Messi scores in 90 minutes against Liverpool in the second leg. Selected markets only applies to goals scored in 90 minutes. Applies to first bet on all losing goals scorer, correct score and what odds Paddy bets on the match. Max refund £10 as a free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Champions League second leg. On Wednesday, we'll see the action at the Johan Cruyff Arena in Amsterdam as Spurs visit Ajax. Ajax warming up this weekend with a 4-0 win over Willem Twee in the Dutch Cup final. They're on for the treble. That's their third clean sheet in four outings. Spurs, by contrast, went and lost 1-0 at Bournemouth with two players sent off, prompting the question, Michael Cox, is this the classic Spurs end-of-season blow-up? And if they melt down like this away at the Vitality Stadium, as you yourself were asking on Saturday, what's going to happen to them in the cauldron of the Johan Cruyff Arena? Yeah, it was very strange. I mean, their, their record away from home is dreadful. I think they've lost seven of the last eight away from home. Nine of the last ten. Nine of the last ten. But Go. probably also seven of the last yeah, eight on the exactly. way to that. Yeah. At that point, it was quite amazing. I think it was the best one in the country. Yeah. Um, it was a remarkable game to be at this because, obviously, everyone would have seen the highlights and how Spurs lost their heads, but it was the most kind of placid, non-threatening atmosphere you could ever wish to find at a football game. It's born with like nice trip down to the seaside, 12.45 kickoff, a team who's got nothing to play for, who were giving out end-of-season awards on the pitch beforehand. And it, it, it seemed like it was going to be such an easy game for Spurs. And then they really just self-destructed. It was, it was remarkably unexpected. First to go was Sun, which we didn't see coming. No, the last player you would um, expect to to get into trouble in that way. I, th- I think he was provoked, wasn't he? I think he, mm. he was stamped on his uh, his hand and there was instant beforehand. But yeah, completely unexpected. And then Pochettino. I mean, Eric Dyer was lucky not to have been sent off before that. Order of World was on a, a yellow card. So Pochettino actually took them both off to, to, avoid, to avoid going down to nine men. And then Foyth comes in with... I mean, it's not the worst tackle I've ever seen, but it might be the most blatant red card I've ever seen. It's like he... He lifts his leg as he's sliding to ensure that it's a red card. And then the remarkable thing from there was that I thought Bournemouth were absolutely dreadful in the second half. They created nothing aside from one chance from from Mousset when he came on. But Spurs looked more likely to get a goal on the counter-attack. But the, the thing that was very obvious there was the players were absolutely knackered. It was the worst possible preparation. You know, it was in the end, they didn't even need to win this game. But you think if Pochettino could have just shaken hands on a 1-0 victory at half-time and just saved the players... You know, running around for forty-five minutes, well, chasing two extra didn't players. Have to play for forty-five minutes. I mean, essentially rested <laughs> himself there. Extra so. rested. Um, you mentioned Spurs with all the chances they had, but they were thwarted by Bournemouth's keeper, who didn't even have a Wikipedia page. 
it's quite a specific criteria you need to have a Wikipedia page as a footballer. You basically have to have made a senior appearance at international level or youth international level or club level. Oh, I had no idea there were rules about it. Oh, yeah, it's very, it's very strict. Um, so as soon as he played in this game, he automatically... Uh, someone would have created a Wikipedia page for him. And he was excellent. He was man of the match, made uh, a variety of excellent saves. I'm, so, I'm sure Sasha would be a better place than me to uh, to point out. But the weird thing was he wasn't even the the main story in the end because it was all about Tottenham self-destructing, but right. he was excellent. Mark Travers, who's the Ireland youth keeper, who apparently on his debut for Weymouth on loan from Bournemouth, did you see this, scored a goal? From about 80 yards. Really? Yeah, it was one of those. There's two very different types of goalkeeper goal. I prefer the long clearance that just nestles in the back of the net. Right. Was this a goal kick that bounced over defender? The goalkeeper uh, misjudges it and it goes in like that. Paul Robinson. I think it, I think it was straight in, actually. Hmm. I don't think it was a bouncer. A bouncer, I always feel like. I just feel sorry for the opposition goalkeeper, whereas this was just a, a pure hit. Okay. Uh, Sasha. I actually think this is massively important for Bournemouth because obviously Borut has been struggling. Begovic has not had a great, great season. So to have someone emerge at this sort of dead end of the season uh, with potential of being number one next year, uh, I think is very, very, very important for them. I also think that the Dutch have done something very, very sly here, which I don't think has really been picked up on. Everyone is talking about their round of games being moved to the end of the season. But interestingly enough, they could move the whole round of games, but they couldn't move one match, the cup final. Thereby, they gave, I think, Ajax eight game gap and also preparation for the first leg and I think this, this makes made such a huge difference for example in the first game where you could see that alright Pochettino got the system wrong but also Spurs couldn't move in the first half and Ajax basically walked around them and the game they had on on, um, on Sunday in the cup final it, it was at walking pace it was a training match they're so, so much so much better than William Tver so I think for them <laughs> their federation has created the perfect preparation for this particular semi-final whereas as you said Spurs are basically are run into the ground I think potentially one of the reasons these red, red and yellow cards come in, basically players are just fatigued mentally and physically. And I was, as I was watching the sendings off, it really made me think three years ago when they completely imploded at, at Stamford Bridge right. at, I think, also penultimate game, which handed the title to Leicester. But yeah, they just they, their judgment completely went. And But one thing I would say as well, credit to Lerma, uh, because, you know, Bournemouth are seen as a nice team. And they brought Lerma, who just spends a lot of the games just trying to wind up his opposing numbers. I mean, I've seen him try to do it to Fabinho. He picked up Eel and Fabinho had retaliation for Yellow as well. So in this particular situation, to wind up Son, I think it takes quite a bit. Absolutely. Son then, as you say, James, getting an extra half of rest ahead of this and Spurs hopes pinned on him as they head to Amsterdam to take on an, an Ajax side who've only lost once at home and over a year. That was to Real Madrid. And even that was a little bit very unfortunate. Very James. unfortunate. And Ajax side who've averaged over three and a half goals a game since knocking Real Madrid out of this tournament. It's. I mean, we didn't do well in finding rays of sunshine for Liverpool. Any, any greater hope for this? Son, I think, is is the main factor. He's obviously had even more of a rest than he would have liked. Uh, but no, I think Ajax will go through. I just think Ajax are absolutely brilliant team. I think they're probably the best team left in the competition. I also think of just how composed uh, they've been throughout this competition so far, where they've either come back from losing first legs or they've come back from behind in second legs, as we saw uh, in Turin, kind of remarkable maturity uh, for a, a side that on the whole is young, but has experienced players in defence, midfield and attack. Um, and 
I think the atmosphere as well, the Amsterdam Arena is great. I was there for the uh, for the Juventus game, and it is it is a loud atmosphere where you can you can sense that not just one generation of fans, but several generations of fans feel that this is this is a moment that doesn't come around often, and I think that does really make an impact. They just seem to be so so fresh, so agile, and so I, clean. So clean, <laughs> not just because the Eredivisie moved this round of fixtures, but because yeah, they have been quite fortunate in that all their best players have been able to stay fit and go into this uh, into this tie. Uh, and Eric Ten Hag has all of his best players available to him um, because yeah, even mentally, I mean, they are in a they're in a title race where they're level on points with PSV at the moment 80 and 80 that over when you get to May can be mentally fatiguing as well so I think you still have to you know it's a fantastic it's a fantastic story Ajax perhaps a small of sunshine they did have one major failure in the winter where they managed to lose I think 6-2 to Feyenoord uh-huh. uh, after which they pulled themselves together in the playing game maybe there is some chink in that sort of mentality armour that they have but I think one of the great enjoyable things about watching Ajax is their appreciation of time and space on the pitch against against Willem again they scored one of those beautifully geometric goals where everyone seems to know when you, they need to move and you can draw these beautiful triangles and squares around the pitch how they pass the ball into the net eventually it's it's wonderful the idea of a, a final between them and, and Barcelona for the neutral is not necessarily an unpleasant one as for Spurs Whatever happens, it does look like they've got top four. And given the parameters within which Pochettino has been working, that's pretty impressive stuff, no? Yes, I think he's done a really good job with uh, a squad that's really depleted in recent weeks. And I think has massively constrained him tactically. There's a lot of selections where you think, why has he played that formation? And then you realise it's just because he's got about 12 fit players and one of them is, you know, Ben Davis or Eric Dyer. Who he does, you know, he doesn't want to play. I don't mean that in a rude way, but yeah, he's he's struggled for numbers, but they've done a really good job. Rude, I have to say. Yeah, well, (laughs) some real shit. Yeah, I mean, Eric Dyer's had a bad season, hasn't he? Not the best. Okay, alrighty, Uh, we'll move on then. Uh, But I just want to ask Michael about your tweet. Surely there is no more on-brand Premier League program than the one you get at Bournemouth's Vitality Stadium. Why is that? There was a double-page spread that was... Uh, one page was a advert for local retirement homes, right. which I enjoyed. And the other was a fan giving his uh, top five away day peers. Uh, so... As in the, yeah. Things that the, jut the, out the structures into the, into the sea rather than anyone with that name. Brilliant. And what, what was number one? Did you... Uh, he's gone for South End's pier, which he says is the longest pier in England. And for me, that's a good enough reason to have it number one. Right. Quality and quantity. After this, we'll talk about another stellar weekend from the top four contenders. That's right, they're trying to get it, or they were trying to get into the top four. But once again, the quartet could only muster a single win between the four of them. Spurs, we've already heard, losing away at Bournemouth. Arsenal had that 1-1 draw with Brighton. They could still catch Spurs, but they'd need results to go their way in an eight-goal swing, so no. But they also could still get in via the Europa League. More on their clash in Valencia a little bit later on, Michael, because you're on your way to the Mastaya. Uh, Chelsea were the team that actually won 3-0 over Watford, which confirmed them in the Champions League next season, while Man United's Champions League ambitions ended thanks to that 1-1 draw at Huddersfield, a team who had lost 22 of their past 24 games, but who almost won this match. What an extraordinary performance by... Manchester United. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's quite remarkable that United have gone to Huddersfield twice in the last two years and have been unable to win there. It's just astonishing given the amount of investment in that team. Um, And again, as we saw 
well, we've seen all too often in recent weeks, but particularly against Everton, just the basics of the game, you know, whether it be defending a throw-in, in, in in this case, it's just a goal kick. Oof. It's a hoof of the ball, of the pitch. And Luke Shaw just, again, I mean, his, what is he thinking there? It's just, uh, again, goes to show that I think the culture of that club, the attitude, it's all wrong right it's now. It's not a team, said Gary Neville. But United were pressed into an error that gave uh, Huddersfield the one-on-one. I mean, it's just it's just extraordinary. I mean, this is the Huddersfield team that went to Liverpool. It was the most comfortable game Liverpool have had in about three months. Yeah. I mean, they have been hopeless all, all this time. And I can't understand how United coming out for this game. Not, I'm, not, I'm not thinking, let's apply ourselves. We're really close to the Champions League. Instead, they're playing like the season is is over. Beat Huddersfield and Cardiff, and kind of, you know, at least give ourselves a chance that way. Was the two easiest fixtures you could have? Yeah. Did they look (laughs) committed to that? Not really. I mean, even 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 Pogba when he hits the crossbar at the end, he should be scoring that. It's an easy chance. He has loads of time. I mean, they did have a one-on-one towards the end. There was a little, maybe a little bit of a flurry, but it was. What have you been doing the previous eighty-five minutes, lads? I, I just find it. It just. It just looks so unprofessional. And this is interesting because, like, the first ten weeks under Solskjaer. They really went up for it, flying, really committed, everything is going reasonably well. And as soon as things got a little bit difficult last few games, they just can't get out of the shot. I mean, they won what, one game in six. Yeah, I mean, they're getting out-pressed by Huddersfield. What about Alexis Sanchez? Well, he doesn't look any better. I mean, it was a surprise that he started, really. I think Solskjaer maybe could have used uh, a younger player. The funny thing about Sanchez is people keep on saying, oh, he must be one of the worst free transfers ever. Of course, it's not a free transfer because of his wages. But it's also not a free transfer because... It was a swap deal. It involved Mkhitaryan going the other way. Mkhitaryan was bought for about £30 million. They probably could have got at least half of that for him. So they effectively did spend money on Sanchez and he's been absolutely dreadful. Plus I mean, there's his colossal wages and all the yeah. ramifications that they have added to their, yeah. their structure. And they won't be able to get him off the books unless he goes to China or somewhere, you know, out, outside Europe, you know, if, if he essentially wants to take early retirement because no other club is going to pay probably half that wage for him. Well, it was a great game for the neutrals and, and a great game as well for Huddersfield fans. A nice way for them to to salute the Premier League, their last home home match. And Benza with the with the with the goal and with the corner flag destruction. <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, thirteen seconds after a United corner, this on the, the final uh, home game as well for Dean Hoyle, who sold seventy five percent of his stake to another long standing supporter, Phil Hodgkinson. So that's nice, Jonas Lussel. With the assist on that goal, mm. which means that he's assisted two Premier League goals for Huddersfield. Do you know who the other one was against? Man United. It was against Man United. <laughs> it was quite a similar goal to their winner at uh, the same stadium against United last year. All right. Also, Will you- how many goals has he assisted for the opposition? <laughs> uh, he's, re- he, he's not Premier League quality. He's, okay. he's, he cost them a lot of points. Uh, are we at Jose was right territory now with Man United? Um, Jose was right. Um, he was also wrong about a lot of things um, in terms of how he went about it. But yeah, I, th- I would say the analysis that he made of of the certain characters in the dressing room um, was was pretty accurate. It could get worse for Man United. Why? Because if Watford defeat Man City in the FA Cup final, doing a Wigan effectively, it means that they would play in the Europa League group phase. And then United would have to start in the second qualifying round in July, which would mean they'd have to cut short their pre-season tour, ka because that day when the second qualifying round gets underway, they're meant to be playing Spurs in a pre-season game in Shanghai. Yeah, this really annoys uh, football clubs, particularly the marketing section. The other thing that really annoys football clubs is the charity shield, because again, that often forces teams to 
redo their tour plans. Who will be playing in the Charity Shield? Liverpool if... City. Okay, so it'll just be the second place. Liverpool have played this before against, I think, Arsenal when Arsenal won the double in 2002. Okay. But that's not what happened in 1961, James. Ooh. Tottenham won the double, first team to win the double in the modern era in 1961. And they did not play second in the league or the runners-up in the cup. They played a league select 11. Oh, that's great. And I think we can all agree that that should definitely happen if City win the, uh, win the double or the treble, it would be. That's brilliant. Anything else about Man United or Huddersfield? Could I make a slight defence of the teams going for the top four? Because yes. everyone just keeps on saying how rubbish they are. I know they've really not been very Two impressive. Wins in the last 16 I, fixtures. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. dreadful form. But yeah. when you look at these teams, yeah. Tottenham are in the Champions League semi-final. Arsenal and Chelsea are probably going to be in the Europa League final. Manchester United are clearly not a very good team, but they got to the quarterfinal of the European Cup and only, only lost to a side who are the favourites for the competition. Which tells you one... In comparison to what Europe have got to offer, these are actually still quite good teams. And two, the fact that they've got so far means they are massively knackered. So they've been absolutely dreadful, don't get me wrong, but people are saying, oh, why don't you just give it to Wolves and all this? Well, these are actually quite good teams. You you go and look at the equivalent third to sixth in any other major European league, uh, the Premier League uh, teams are much better than these. similar stumbling going on certainly in Italy at the moment between the teams that are are meant to be jousting for the the top four uh, spots. They also went so deep in Europe. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, let's talk about uh, Arsenal and Chelsea's chances uh, of making it uh, well into the Europa League final and then winning the darn thing after this. Rejoice, Baku. You're just 90 minutes away from hosting a London derby on Wednesday the 25th of May. Sasha, you know all about Baku. There's only one direct flight. It goes on Tuesday night, arrives 6.30 in the morning. Getting back's not going to be uh, any easier. Does it have any great piers? Uh, well, it has lots of oil just offshore. <laughs> if you're into Is that. it a coastal town? Baku? Yeah, it's close to the coast, but basically all the Azeri oil fields are out in the Caspian around there. Uh, so if you like your uh, derricks, Okay. Uh, get, get yourself out there. If you like your meat, get out there as well. They know how to do their meat in the Caucasus. Uh, plus pomegranate wine I've been recommended as well. And lovely old city. And also, of course, it's a Muslim country, but they're okay with people drinking alcohol there. So fans should not uh, worry about that side of things. Okay. However, getting out there, yeah, as Michael said, uh, it's, it's, it's quite a logistical challenge. And I think this is something that they might need to look at ahead of uh, Euro 2020 because Baku is hosting quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, Liverpool um, had it hard last year for the fans to get to Kiev. This is a lot further away. I think this is about as far away as you can it's go. It's 4,000 kilometres. And I, if you think logistically as well... And then another well, 4,000 to come back again. Exactly. But if you, sometimes you think, okay, I'll fly to a nearby city and maybe yeah. get the train or something. You no. can't really do that. No. Where, where is there nearby? Uh, nearby is Tbilisi, Georgia. You can okay, probably get yeah. across the border. Mm-hmm. You can potentially go via Turkey. Uh, you get the well, I know route. Arsenal fans who are planning to drive. To drive? Yeah. Uh, well, in that case... They're to prob- see Arsenal play for 90 minutes against Chelsea. And I also, can't think of anything. I mean, just driving 20 minutes to see <laughs> Arsenal play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Arsenal have already been there as well. Or they played Karabag uh, oh, earlier in the right. season. So fair play to anyone doing both trips. That's a long round I, I would journey. say for Karabag, I think only probably a few hundred would have gone. Yeah, and then, but they might have yeah. actually been able to book a flight. Uh, whereas I think the situation now, you can probably go with Turkish Airlines via Istanbul for about... 600 700 quid or something like that so i think i think those um day trip tour companies might make um a bit of a killing on this one okay well of course these two teams have to make it there yeah they've got second legs coming up against valencia and eintracht frankfurt 1-1 in germany between frankfurt and chelsea eintracht at the weekend 
playing Bayer Leverkusen, losing 6-1. They got absolutely torn to pieces. Their three centre-backs were caught, being caught out at either side uh, by a very rampant and good-looking uh, Leverkusen side with Kai Havertz, Julian Brandt. Um, and All I those goals coming in the first half. Thirty-six minutes. Oh, six yeah, yeah, thirty-six minutes, and then they just get. But they could have. They could have made it ten in the second half. Uh, Havertz himself could have had three. Was that because Eintracht's uh, mind was on their Europa League second? They, they did rest some players. I mean, for example, I think uh, Rebic made a comeback uh, because he was uh, suspended for the first leg. Uh, but Jovic, who is potentially being linked with Real Madrid at the moment, was on the bench. As was. Um, Gacinovic, who played, who is also one of the starters, but it doesn't explain why they were so absolutely appalling at the back. I mean, there were some shifts around, but the way Leverkusen just played around the system, exploiting the spaces down the flanks, was was extraordinary, and they they, they completely collapsed. Do you fancy Chelsea in this second leg? Uh, I would have to see in this. I mean, mm. despite the fact that you know Eintracht would be stronger, but this, this is such such a big impact, and then now right in the mixer for the for the race for the fourth place because um, also they've lost uh, ten goals effectively in goal difference versus Leverkusen, who've now caught up with them. And uh, both teams have two games left. Wow, good knowledge, Sash. As for the other semi, Arsenal travelling to Mestalla, you're off to this one, Michael. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll have noted that Valencia themselves scored six goals at the weekend in a uh, 6-2 victory over Huesca. Yeah, they've had a strange season, Valencia. Kept on drawing at the start of the campaign, picked up now. I'm not sure they're a great side, but this is a really difficult away game. I mean, the Mestalla... That is an intimidating ground. The steep sides, it's going to be a warm evening. The atmosphere has been a little bit up and down this season. Some fans are unhappy with the manager, Marcelino, but they'll be really up for this one. I think the third goal that Arsenal scored tips the balance in their favour, and I think they will score uh-huh. in Valencia. The strange thing about Arsenal is they've got this dreadful away record in the league, but then they went to Napoli, and I know Napoli aren't a great side at the moment, but they were remarkably composed and just mm. ne- never had any problems at all. So it's very difficult to read how this one will go. No Ramsey goals this time and Arsenal coming off that very underwhelming 1-1 draw at home to a Brighton side who already knew they were up because, or that they were staying up because uh, Cardiff had lost previously just at home to Palace. Amazing how Palace are the ones that keep Brighton up. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By not only not only doing them a favour in this game, but also obviously losing to Brighton in both games that they played against them. So. It's actually Brighton's last win was at Palace. Mm. Since then, I think they've only managed three draws. Arsenal on the 1st of April were third in the Premier League and above Tottenham. They've only had one win in six league games since. Andrew Cargill asked, where, if at all, do you think Arsenal have improved under Emery? No, they've, they've had some good big game performances. I think the winner over Chelsea was very impressive. I think Emery just works in a completely different way from Wenger and I'm not sure there's necessarily been progress overall, but it was going to be a long-term job. I think, I think it was a three-year job, really. First year, consolidate start to change the club next year they need to be pushing on and definitely finishing inside the top four but is there one specific thing I mean bringing in Burnt Leonard perhaps as a keeper one thing about them that you think well that's better than it used to be the way he makes tactical changes has generally been good okay. it hasn't been a good month for them but if you remember the first um, half of the season Arsenal were never winning at half time then Emery would completely change system and they'd be very good the second half Wenger would never change system really midway through a game so that's been one area ironically I think as well um, he finally possibly got the best out of Ramsey the player who's leaving huh. every time I've seen him play he was very very effective yeah it was a nice farewell to him yesterday mm-hmm. actually he was on the pitch and he's been there 11 years and mm. he's a player who came in for some I think really unfair stick his first season back after injury where a lot of fans were getting on his back when he was clearly just physically 
shattered and to score the playing in a role not necessarily his no sometimes he's often been out on the right I think he's a slightly difficult player to accommodate sometimes as Sasha said maybe it hasn't been so much of an issue this time around uh, this season but to score two cup final winners I mean he's almost playing in the wrong area if he'd done that in the 70s you'd be the most fabled player in the history of the club but sometimes the FA Cup scene is an afterthought now but he's provided some good memories and I think everyone who's ever met him myself included interviewed him a few years ago he's just a really nice unassuming humble guy not interested in being famous or celebrity just wants to get on with his football and I think he's really suited to Italian football in Juventus I'm excited to see how well he does such an odd atmosphere at Arsenal at the end of that game where they not only said goodbye to Aaron Ramsey but also Danny Welbeck which felt kind of cold the the way it was handled it, it it doesn't it doesn't seem right to me and then obviously Petr Cech's moving on might be going to Chelsea to take up some kind of directorial role a charity single yeah with will he be drumming on that yes. I don't know with, with uh, Roger Roger Taylor, Roger Taylor. Yeah. I've got to feel that Roger Taylor's probably going to handle the drumming then no have you not seen where they both drum together they have this jam session oh nice it's what what's it's the quite track? something. Well, it will be Queen. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they—they're just—they're really riffing off each other. You know, you can see it's—it's. It's, wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there's that, but in poignant scenes at the Emirates on on Sunday. What what about Chelsea and their first season manager, uh, Peter Hatherley says, please could you show some love to Maurizio Sarri, who despite all the endless and unfair criticism throughout the season has guided Chelsea to a top four finish, League Cup final, which they should have won, and potentially a Europa League final as well. Listener, we'll, we'll keep this short, because I think we're all bored of the, the, the Sarri back and forth, but yeah, he's not done bad, is he? No, the results haven't been, haven't been bad at all, but you question whether he has the support of the players or the fan base, and I'd be hugely surprised if he's there next season. Really? Huge surprise really? if he's there yeah, next yeah. season, Sasha? I won't be that surprised, but I think certainly a lot of grumbling amongst the fans, but also quite a worrying thing, the drop-off in the second half. And, you know, this time against Watford, they came out and actually won it in the second half. But Sarri said after the game, well, what's had in the first half? Um, but I think they probably lowered it in the second half, talking of Watford, and kind of let us win, effectively, because they have, in brackets, other things to worry about. Um, so I, it's... Um, yeah, it's questions over players. Questions okay. over Azar, maybe. James, you think Sarri will be there next season? Yeah, because I just think they'll have a real problem attracting a manager when they've got a transfer ban and they've got key players leaving. You know, obviously Gary Cahill would be delighted to see Maurizio Sarri go, um, having already walked out the door himself. But that was that was as awkward as the final scenes at Arsenal, at Arsenal on, on the weekend. Right, the, Gary Cahill who came out with uh, comments along the lines of, I've got no respect for him because he doesn't respect players who've won titles here yeah it's mm. been really terrible for me personally well there you go <laughs> well i'm glad that's over then now uh, all the way back on friday night just to round off the premier league weekend everton beat burnley 2-0 that's five wins in seven now for the toffees five clean sheets in a row at home wolves though have sealed seventh place pretty much beating full on one nil Handing out 20,000 Sin Cara wrestling masks as well. Did you see this, Sash? No. <laughs> Before kickoff, apparently. Uh, the game also notable for Fulham's... I think Sin Cara was there. I hadn't seen the 20,000 masks. There's a lot of masks. Anyway, uh, Fulham's Harvey Elliott becoming the youngest ever player to feature in the Premier League. Coming on at 16 years and 30 days. He only had two minutes for the end, but, you know, they all count. And West Ham... Finishing on a, in a, uh, with a bit of a flurry, beating Southampton 3 0. Uh, Cardiff, they are down. Duncan Alexander pointing out that all the teams relegated 
in the Premier League and Football League this season, 42%, almost half of them, are or have been managed by Neil Warnock. I guess he's managed a lot of clubs. And, uh, oh, here's another tweet. Dave at Tête de la Course says, slightly off topic, but can we have a flip reverse it where Martin O'Neill wins the UEFA Cup in 2003 and present-day Jose is jobbing along in the championship? Brilliant. <laughs> Dave actually plots this out for us and he sees uh, O'Neill taking over the England job and uh, pumping the ball long to Emil Heskey a lot with my, Chris Hutton, My counter yeah. narrative to that was... was is, is maybe Mourinho has a better chance of getting the Barcelona job Ooh. that way. What? Well, because he was he was part of Van Gaal's staff. He was the translator. And Barcelona always liked to promote boot room guys, people who know it. And obviously they didn't give Mourinho the job all those years ago because from what they saw at Chelsea, but particularly at Inter, they were like, no, he doesn't fit. But maybe if, he, if we didn't get to see that all come to light, Barcelona would say, ah, oh, yeah, okay. Jose, why not? I actually think of a social impact as in 100,000 Scots just staying in south southern Spain, starting the new colony, never returning. Magnificent. The neat thing about that uh, UEFA Cup final was the only UEFA final settled by a silver goal. Do you remember them? Yeah, so the silver goal, you could continue to the end of that period of extra yeah. time. Golden goal killed it right then and there. It was exactly. sudden death. Which but was a nightmare for public order. That's why it got... Sort the golden of, goal. Yeah, because all of a sudden a game was over and it didn't have a definitive time of end. Nobody so knew that. The exactly. So all of a sudden for. police were like, oh God, people but, are leaving the stadium. This is crazy. But the thing is about this, for example, Delas scored one for Greece in Euro 2004. That was in the first half. But this was in the second half, so it didn't actually affect things because you just play till the end of extra time, don't you? And I thought golden goal was just so massively cruel. Remember, Euro 96 final settled mm. in the first or second minute of extra time by a goalkeeping mistake. Brian. Okay, well, on the subject of uh, Jose and the Scots, we'll, <laughs> we'll be talking about uh, one or two interesting stories from around other leagues after this. Time for a little bit of miscellany now as we begin with Man City's women who won the FA Cup after beating West Ham 3-0 at Wembley on Saturday. Oh, there were 43,264 fans there. But, of course, West Ham supporters... Deeply upset by the FA's decision not to schedule, or either them or the Premier League, not to reschedule the, the men's team's game with Southampton, which happened concurrently, uh, forcing them to have split loyalties. So there'll be more chat about that in the Offside Rule podcast later this week. Uh, you can also enjoy our Golazzo podcast, if you are of a, of a mind to. What are we talking about this week, James? Uh, we talk about the goddess, James, mm. Atalanta. Atalanta. We give a, a sort of you know overview of what they've done this season, what they're achieving, which is quite remarkable, but also we their history, I suppose. Yeah, the good, the good and guys bad. and the bad guys. And, and they were very much the good guys this Sunday when they went to, uh, to uh, Lazio down in Rome and, and picked up their fourth straight win, moving to within a point of third now. It really looks like we're going to see... Uh, La Dea in Champions League next season which would be tremendously exciting I very much enjoyed the welcome they got back home in Bergamo it was 4,000 oh, fans yes. turned up at the airport yeah. flares dr oh, everything was brilliant right in, in such a contrast to the scenes at Lazio on Sunday where the stadium was about a quarter full the fans had done that thing where they hang all their banners upside down <laughs> as a sign of displeasure I'd rather see them do that with their banners than the ones that they unfurled in Milan oh yeah that's true <laughs> Andrew's got a question about Atalanta 
Outside of Duvan Zapata, is there any talk of Atlanta players joining the Premier League? And what about Zapata himself? Will he come to the Prem? I think there's a good chance he could come to the Premier League, yeah. And would that be a good signing? I think so. I think he's uh, robust enough um, to play in England. I would uh, recommend anyone who signs him to play him in the kind of right position, right way, which I don't think has happened up, up until this point in his his career. Um, it's also, I, th- I think we discussed this with Richard Hughes if, uh, last year, that if you take certain Atlanta players out of this system, which often makes them look a lot better than they are, um, you might get a bit of a, a surprise, uh, an unpleasant surprise. They might Many not be able to have seen. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, on the subject of Richard Hughes, there was a good interview with him in that Bournemouth program we mentioned earlier, oh, and it was, was it? all about his role as a technical director or sporting director, yeah. and how he's basically overseeing the scouting system at Bournemouth. Genuinely, really interesting. There's always a question about precisely what they do, and it was a really good insight. There you go. Also, I have a question. Um, is there um, much remembrance in Italy this weekend? The 70th anniversary of Superga. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. No, it was. Uh, it was done very well. Um, there was uh, the Juventus fans. We discussed this on on Golazzo. They they unfurled a banner honouring the fallen, um, and uh, on the day of the the anniversary, obviously the the club went up that afternoon, and Andrea Bellotti, the captain, read out the names of the of the victims. Um, you can go out and see it on social media. It's always something that uh, that uh, brings the hairs on the back of your neck standing. Indeed. In Scotland, mixed week for Celtic. They tied up their eighth title in a row with a 3-0 win over Aberdeen, but they also unveiled a, a new kit which has left many fans troubled. It's well, I mean, it's essentially it's the same, but it's the green collar, I think, is... I'm, I'm guessing that's what their issue is. There are a lot of people don't seem too excited about it. Uh, also, there's talk of Jose Mourinho being their new manager. <laughs> Celtic? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, did you not see this? There was a rumour they'd made him some kind of formal offer. I thought it was just made up stuff. It might well be, but it's still funny. Well, you know what? If you're intrigued, and you clearly are, Sasha, I've just heard that the Totally Scottish Football Show is all over that biz. So let's move on to Germany, where, aside from all that Bayer Leverkusen, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt business, Bayern have gone four points clear at the top. With two games to go, they beat Hanover 3-1. Dortmund could only manage a draw. They're the Bremen. They were 2 up. suicide as well. They could oh, have been yeah? 5-0 up. Uh, they wasted the number of chances. Uh, Pavelka, the goalkeeper for uh, Werder Bremen, had a quite an inspired game. And uh, on 70 minutes, Roman Burki lets a shot in through the gate, just through his legs out of nowhere. Five minutes later, they're slow pushing up. Jaden Sancho is playing. Um, I think Augustinsson on side. Then um, Akan just tries to shepherd the ball out, messes that up, gets hooked over to Pissarro the evergreen 40-odd-year-old Pissarro who equalises and then Werder could have actually uh, won the game. So that was an absolute disaster from, from their point of view. And interestingly, now their hope lies uh, next week with Abi Leipzig, who of course are morally wrong in uh, Borussia Dortmund's fans' you know, ideas of what football should be. But uh, this is a very tough game for, for Bayern. They're going to Leipzig and the last game of the season, Bayern have Eintracht Frankfurt at home. So wow. it's, I think it's long from over. Two words that stand out for me there, though. Claudio Pizarro. Four goals this season. And he, keeps, he keeps on extending the record of being the oldest player to score. How? What are we at now? I think it's 40, 40. years and 123 days or something. Oh, that puts Qualiarella in perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, OK, uh, in France, just PSG. Did they win? They did not. 1-1 this time with Nice. That's one win in seven in all competitions now for the Parisians. Neymar scored a penalty. Cavani missed one. 
I think it's the very tasty race for third there, which mm. is the final Champions League spot in France, because it is Lyon against Saint-Étienne. And, and now I think with three games left, it's just one point in it, because <laughs> um, Lyon drew 2-2 with Lille, who might be dragged into this race as well, they're second. Uh, while Saint-Étienne uh, won 3-2 at Monaco, a game in which uh, I think they were actually extremely fortunate, because Monaco dominated for large parts of the game, and they got two fluky goals. Uh, but they came out 3-2 winners, and it's down to the last three games. In the Football League, this final weekend, were you across that as well? Yeah, Captain I, there was one bad thing happened. What was that? The bad thing was the terrible act of non-sportsmanship that was shown ah, yeah. in Plymouth Scunthorpe. So both of these teams, uh, I think, were in the releg- relegation zone. So they both need this win. Uh, home side 2-1 up. Uh, the home goalkeeper, Matt Macy, who is on loan from Arsenal, clearly pulled something so he tries to throw the ball out um, he goes down on one knee that one knee he shows that he's say, injured look, I can't yeah. do it and then he rolls the ball as though to put it out but the opposition player Josh Morris just lobs it back in <laughs> straight into his net Though, and they didn't let the other team go down the other end and score. No, they did not. But Plymouth still got a goal uh, 10 minutes later to win it. Uh, but they actually needed another three because that's what it cost them in the end. Goal difference. Right. OK. Elsewhere in the Football League, Norwich got crowned champions, but they need a new coach. Uh, well, it's... it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Uh, their promotion celebrating bus right. broke down. So oh, they went right. around on a, uh, that, you know, one of those sightseeing buses. Yes. Oh, Nice. Norwich is quite scenic. I, I recommend. No, no. I mean, I'm not but, suggesting they shouldn't have them. Well, you, you shouldn't need a bus because the city centre is pedestrianised. Yes, ah, good point. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> Survived in League One. Notts County dropped out of the Football League for the first time in their 157-year history. You can hear more of all these stories with Caroline Barker and the Totally Football League Show gang. That'll be up. On Tuesday, and that brings us. Could I just butt in with one last thing, please, please Sasha. Uh, I think National League player final this year is probably up for the most unpopular one, because one on the one side we have Salford City, yes. who I saw their penalty shootout win against Eastleigh, where I think it was it Rooney missed the first penalty, and as he missed, he uh, he pulled up. So it's like kind of that. Oh, it's like yeah, I think it's basically money backs club in non-league is never popular. But on the other side, we have AFC Fylde, who won 1-0 at Solihull on the same day as their ground hosted Nigel Farage and his Brexit party. <laughs> 2000 attended. Uh, as it turns out, David Haythonthwaite, uh, who is the owner of AFC Fylde, is a big fan of the old Brexit. And in uh, February, uh, there was a uh, basically a hoarding put up uh, at the home stadium, which said, "No surrender to the 27." No surrender to the. Who? Tw- sorry, who are the, the 27? EU 27. The EU 27. Oh, sorry, right, okay. I've been to file actually, and as you inside the club, there's a there's a kind of a corridor of British greatness with pictures of Margaret Thatcher and other great exponents of of that magic quality, which Sasha, you can only dimly grasp at. That makes British so very special and deserving of. <laughs> Understanding from the rest of the world and exceptions and all that stuff. I'll add it to my list, James. Yeah. Um, but yeah, filed. Good. Defiled. Defiled. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Time for us to uh, check on the odds on the midweek European games and more. Producer Ben's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jim Bowen. What a show it's been, listener. And it's about to get better because here's Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee. Enough of the Premier League, let's talk about Europe. Can Liverpool do the do against Barcelona and go through to the final? <laughs> well, I, I don't mock because they've been here before, haven't they? 
but it's not looking likely. They're the slight favourites to win the night, Liverpool, but getting through is a real long shot. It's 12 to 1. They summon the spirit of Istanbul and go through. Barcelona are 1 to 50 to reach the final. So, for context, you have to bet £50 to win just one quid. That's how sure we are that Barcelona will be in Madrid for the final. And the other semi is Spurs over in Amsterdam at Ajax. I'm not so confident about this one. What say you? Yeah, a lot tighter this one, but a similar verdict for the English club according to the odds. Ajax odds on to go through at 2-7. to seven. Spurs are 5-2 to two to proceed. I'm not sure about that though. An early away goal and Spurs are in control of the tie. And this could be potentially Son's last game of the season. He's 6-4 to four to score any time in a bid to change that. And finally, Lee, give us the numbers for an all-London affair in Baku for the Europa League. This one's less doom and gloom for the English clubs involved. They're both heavily odds on to go through. Chelsea look home and hosed, actually, with a win at Stamford Bridge expected. They're 1-3 to do that, 1-6 to to go through. While that late third goal in the first leg for Arsenal should make their trip to Valencia a formality, they're 2-7 to to reach the final. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. So, uh, you're off to Spain now, Michael? Yes, looking forward to it. Very nice. Sasha, you head to uh, Anfield. Twice. Oh, because you're going back for the Wolves game? Yeah. Nice. And James, you got anything exotic lined up? No, not after last week. All right, because uh, you were not, in not Bergamo, this week you? anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, Bergamo, I'm going the to lovely Genoa city the following week. And yeah. then you're off to Genoa. Mm. Okay. James made a big thing of not watching the Champions League games in midweek. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> right. I went to a restaurant opening. Uh, a friend of mine just down the road. Okay. It's called Amelia, which is right. it's kind of takes its inspiration from... From Amelia Hart, the air, uh, <laughs> no. the air uh, aviator. Yeah. No, from Amelia Romagna, James, right. which, as you know, is a fantastic region for food in Italy. The best, the best. They, they would say. Yeah. The Twitter was just full of like, oh, this is a brilliant Champions League game. And James just pops up with, oh, these, these starters are lovely. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, then. Uh, well, I'm sure a lot of Liverpool and Spurs fans will be flocking there this Tuesday and Wednesday. We will return on Thursday when we'll go all Latin on you with Alvaro Romeo and Natalie Jedra. Uh, oh, and also uh, Duncan Alexander out of Wickham. So... <laughs> So do join us for that. And then, Michael, we'll see you again in a week. And you, Sasha, you're back for that as well, apparently. Did you know that next Monday? I didn't know, but I can Yeah, assume. please come along. Daniel's story will be there as well. That's We're now two shows ahead of us. Oh, and I'm off to Bratislava. I mean, I'm here on Thursday because it's the World Ice Hockey Championships and we're doing a, a, a podcast for that. So could be interesting. Super. Listener, we'll speak to you on Thursday. Have a great time. Till then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day.
And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.